Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, I like pictures. Do you like pictures? I like pictures. Uh, because pictures are things, especially the ones we keep, are of people that are important to us. They're of places that we thought were beautiful or we want to visit again. Uh, they're of scenes or settings that were impactful to our lives. Those are at least the pictures that we keep. If you've got a cell phone and you've got a camera on that cell phone, no doubt you've taken some pictures of the inside of your pocket or the inside of your purse or something like that, but we don't keep those pictures, do we? There are some pictures that we keep, and the pictures that we keep are generally pictures of someone or something or some place that we love, someone, something, someplace where we want to be. And, you know, just some examples of that might be pictures of your kids. You know, just uh, this, this last fall, we had the opportunity to have some pictures taken of our family, and there's our little five-year-old son, Josh. You know, yes, I, I do figure out ways to get pictures of my kids on the screen every week, so uh, Josh, so here we go. But yeah, uh, we, we, I keep this picture. I'm going to keep it for a long time. Why am I going to keep it? Because Josh is important to me. He's precious to me. I love him. He's my son. You know, I, I, I keep pictures of him around my office. They, they remind me of him and, and his voice, and you know, he's not going to be that size forever, um, but I, I'll have a picture that will take me back to that space. And we keep pictures of those. I also keep pictures of, of our family. And we had some other pictures taken. I mean, here we are. This is just a typical Saturday at the Robinson House. Every Saturday, we're just out in the woods, you know, just, just walking hand in hand, you know. Maybe a little picnic at the end of the path. No, it'd be great if we did more of that, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, in, in pictures, life looks perfect. And, and uh, there we are. But, you know, I'll, I'll, that picture will be so precious to me going forward. I'll, I'll, when I see that, I'll remember Josh's hand in mine. Um, I'll, I'll remember my wife sitting next to me and, and uh, all of the, the feeling and the emotion and the experience. And, and you guys know we've been through quite a few things this year. And just these pictures are so precious to me for that reason because they're of someone or, you know, some place, a season in time that's, that's significant to us. You know, we also keep pictures of places that we visited that we, we like. I mean, this picture was from Rocky Mountain National Park. We took vacation with Kimberly's family there a few years ago, and I love this picture, not just because it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, this herd of elk sitting in this field. You know, I'm in Oklahoma. Somebody wants to shoot at those elk, okay? It's protected area, all right? Um, but, but there we were in National Park, these, this beautiful herd of elk, and standing with my, with my family, um, it was just, just a great experience, a great memory. You know, pictures are important to us. But you know what, long before there ever was a digital camera that was invented, pictures were important to people. But instead of being able to just take a snapshot and have that create a memory, um, people used words to paint pictures. And that's very much what God did when 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, uh, he inspired the prophet Isaiah to write down a, a they, we would call it a song, a servant song about Jesus. 700 years before his birth, it was a prophecy of what Jesus, who he was to be and what he was to look like. Um, and you know, for, for our perspective today, we, we see this, it doesn't look much like a song to us. It doesn't have music above it or below it. We don't know the tune. 
I think maybe it's even better for us to view this not as a song, but as a picture. Isaiah 42, 1 to 9, really, we're going to focus on the first seven verses, are a servant picture of Jesus that we ought to treasure and hold close because Jesus is our Savior. He's precious to us. And as we look at the words of Isaiah 42, uh, my hope and prayer is that we see the Savior for who He is, that it influences our affections, and that we choose to follow Him. And as we choose to follow Him, we'll see today that it takes us right into our Ready for Takeoff initiative, because He is a servant Savior. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 7. We're going to see two things today about this picture of Jesus from Isaiah 42. Um, Now, one thing you need to know before we dive in and look a little more in depth at it is that uh, this passage is set up kind of odd for our ears. Um, This is a passage where God the Father is speaking to God the Son. He's speaking to him, he's speaking over him, he's speaking about him. So the pronouns we see here in words like the chosen one and when, when he says you, he's talking not about us, he's not talking about Israel, he's not talking about some other earthly leader at the time, he's talking about God the Son, Jesus Christ, who would be born in Bethlehem 700 years after this was written. And as this picture is shared for us of Jesus, we're going to see two things today. The first thing that we're going to see is that he is the servant. He is the servant. We see this in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 42. It begins in verse 1, and God the Father speaks and says this. He says, Behold my servant, behold Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. This verse gives us a picture of the Messiah, of Jesus who was to come. And the picture is one of him being, the very first thing we see about him is that he is a servant. But he's not a servant who does not have claim to authority or possess power or himself be divine. See, Jesus is one who is called a servant, but he is serving not out of his weakness, but out of his divine identity. We see that so clearly mentioned here because Jesus is the chosen. He's the Messiah. Jesus is the one in whom the soul of the Father delights. Jesus is the one upon whom the Spirit has been placed. These are clearly indications of His divinity, clearly indications of the power and the authority that Jesus possessed. And yet He's described not as one who was lording it over everyone, not as one who was coming as a dictator. He's described as a servant. This is very much consistent with the picture of Jesus that we get later on, 700 years later, when he was born in Bethlehem and then lived his ministry out in Palestine. Um, Jesus, in his ministry, echoed this very thought. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus kind of gives a mission statement for his 
life and ministry. And he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The idea here in the calling Jesus and Jesus calling himself the Son of Man was not saying that he was someone without authority. The Son of Man was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the one with all of the authority. But the one with all of the authority came not to lord it over everyone. He came to serve. This is also what we see over in the book of John in chapter 13 when Jesus, family gathered, uh, Jesus famously gathered with his disciples for a last supper. And as he gathered with his disciples for the last supper, he did what only the lowest of the servants would do. He stood up and he put a towel around himself and he washed all of their dirty, smelly feet. And he explained this activity to them in verse 12. He says, when he washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, Jesus said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. That's the authority. That's the power. That's his divine identity. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. See, the idea of this picture of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 42 being a servant is one that Jesus played out and added more depth to and more texture to in the New Testament. Jesus came to be a servant Now, how did he come to be a servant? In what way was Jesus a servant? Well, it says to us at the end of verse 1 that he came to be a servant to bring forth justice to the nations. He was going to do something to benefit others, not himself. He was coming to benefit others, not just those among the people of Israel, but he was going to do something that would have far-reaching global impact. He was going to serve the nations, by bringing forth justice. Do do the nations need justice? Absolutely. Think of the the impact of the fall on humanity, all of the the, the sin that is committed, all the crime that is committed, all the injustice that happens at the individual level, at the corporate level. There is so much need for justice in the world, and this passage tells us, Jesus says, I'm going to serve by bringing forth justice to the world. He goes on. He says that as he brings forth this justice, he will not do it as a bellowing dictator, but he'll do it as someone who is offering assistance and service gentle to those who are in need. He says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He's not just going to be bellowing orders. But it says that a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. What's that talking about? What does he mean when he says that the Son of God, the servant, Jesus, won't break the reed? He won't extinguish the wick. Well, the idea here is that the the broken reed, the the, the tweaked reed, would be easier to break. You you can imagine a a stick or a piece of of board that, that had no nick or no cut in it would be much stronger than one that had a significant injury on the side of it, right? The idea of a a flickering wick is something that would be easily extinguished compared to, say, a bonfire. Much easier to put out the wick, much easier that's already flickering, much easier to break the, the board that is already broken. This passage is indicating that Jesus did not come to exploit those 
who were already so obviously in need. He came to be their servant. He came to be their champion. He came to offer assistance to the broken reeds and the flickering wicks of this world. This is so clearly seen in the life and the ministry of Christ who came and some of the broken reeds and flickering wicks of his day would have been prostitutes who he welcomed into his following and offered them forgiveness of their sins. Tax collectors shunned by their community that he offered to be one of the disciples and to follow him, to leave their previous ways and to start anew in Christ. These were the blind, the, the, the beggars, the, the cripples that Jesus didn't say stay away, but Jesus welcomed into his presence. They were the broken reeds, the flickering wicks of his day. And instead of extinguishing it, instead of breaking it, he welcomed them into his presence. These were the children that everybody else said, keep those kids away from Jesus. And Jesus said, no, let them come unto me. You see, Jesus was not looking to exploit those who were in need. He was looking to to serve them. This is so huge. This is so significant for us because we live in a world where there are also very many around us who would easily fit within the category of a broken reed or a flickering wick. The children caught up in prostitution in Nicaragua, forced there by their parents, sold into human trafficking. They're a flickering wick. They're a broken reed. The children in Mexico that we otherwise would have forgotten about were it not for Mexico missions and and other efforts who are going up into those villages to share Christ with them. They're flickering wicks. They're broken reeds. It's the homeless teenager in Norman that's living over at Bridges, a flickering wick, a broken reed. They're the family that doesn't have enough money to provide formula for their children or diapers for their children. The family that doesn't have food to eat, they're a flickering wick, they're a broken reed. And Jesus came not to break it, not to extinguish it, not to exploit it, but he came to serve those very people. That's why as part of Ready for Takeoff, part of what we're doing as a church, we're saying, I want to be with him. I want to be with Jesus as he is stepping out to be a servant to the flickering wicks and the broken reeds around us. And here's the the, the incredible spiritual truth that lies behind this. Spiritually speaking, every one of us in this room is a flickering wick and a broken reed. None of us come to Jesus on the basis of our strength. We come as broken people, sinful. He's aware of the sin. That sin has great consequences. We come as people who are in, in. Uh, insecure. We come as people who lack the basic thing. We come as people who have wounded those closest to us. We come as broken reeds and as flickering wicks. And Jesus looks at us and he doesn't seek to exploit us. He seeks to serve us. That's why as his body today, this ought to be a place, we ought to be a people where the flickering wicks and the broken reeds are not extinguished They're not broken, they're not exploited, but they're served. Because the Son of God is a servant. He goes on. Verse 4 says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till He has established justice in the earth and the coastlands 
wait for his law. I love that. Uh, Jesus will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Do you ever grow weary of doing good? Yeah. If you've ever, I, I, I would hazard this guess. I hope I'm not the only one in the room. But if you have ever entered into a situation to provide help for someone in need, at some point you had to go, oh my word, this is, this is draining me. This is taking everything I've got. Enough. I'm growing tired. I'm growing weary. Whether it was criticism from others, whether it's disrespect from the one you're trying to help, whether it's, it's difficulty that spurs up, at some point we get to a spot where we say enough is enough. But thankfully, the Son of God is not that way. The servant of Isaiah 42 says that he will not grow tired until he has provided and established justice among the people. Tom Constable says this of this passage. He says, not only would Jesus not break or extinguish others, but the pressures and the blows of others would not break or extinguish him. Jesus was tireless in his serving. Jesus is still tireless in his serving, extending a desire for justice among the nations, justice among us. You know, the ultimate hope that all of us have of justice coming to this earth is not found in who wins and who loses an election. The vote has already been cast. The future has already been secured. The hope for justice in Norman, the hope for justice in America, the hope for justice in Nicaragua and Ethiopia and Bosnia and wherever, the hope that we have is secured in the one-day return of Christ to establish His justice on the earth. And we get to partner with Him in the process of His establishing this kingdom. You know, when we think about applying this notion of our Savior being uh, a servant, one of the things that I think it ought to do within us is, is, first of all, it ought to begin with us praying and asking God to give us His eyes for people. We tire, He doesn't. We want to exploit or ignore the needy but he wants to serve them. And so I think it begins simply with us just praying and saying, Lord, give me your eyes for people. And then the second thing is, I think that it involves us getting involved and taking personal action. But that can be overwhelming because the needs are so great. And Bruce gave us a great admonishment to this end last week when he said that we, would, we should all strive to do for one what we wish we could do for the many. And I would just challenge you to, to even ask yourself this question this week. Who is one person that God might allow you the opportunity to serve this week, to put their needs above yours, to, to bless them in some way? Um, and I would, I would take it one step further. Who, who might that person be who lives outside of your home? I realize that that's an assumption. Some of, you know, one of the most selfish places I am is in my house. Um, but for the sake of our Ready for Takeoff initiative, I want us to think about what, what is one place, one person, not someday, but, but today, not some week, but this week, that God might have you be a blessing to um, in, this, in this life? Because we want to be with him. We want to join him as he is the servant. The passage goes on, though, and it says more than just that Jesus is the servant. It says that Jesus is also the Savior. 
Verse 5 to 7 give us a picture of Jesus being a Savior to those who trust in Him. Uh, begins in verse 5 and talks a lot about the authority that God the Father has to make the claims of this passage. And then continues into the way in which Jesus is our Savior. Look at what it says. It says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He's turning now to speak to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand, Jesus, and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. In other words, through you, Jesus, I will establish a way in which mankind can relate to me. He says that he will make Jesus a light for the nations. Now, what does it mean to say that Jesus will be a light for the nations? Well, where is light most needed? In the darkness. And the Bible paints a picture of the earth as a place which is very dark because of the effects of sin. Our hearts are dark, our future is dark because of our sin and the consequences of that sin, which is separation from God forever. That creates a darkness within us. Sin has so marred our outlook and perspective on life that we, we, we under, relating to God without intervention, without any light being shed, would be like trying to walk through a dark room, unable to determine where you're going. See, darkness is the condition of the world. But Jesus is described as one who is a light to the nations. Jesus has come to turn on the light. And with the light comes the very clear understanding that light brings life. Uh, the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, kind of echoes Isaiah 42, 5 to 7, when John says this in his gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. You cannot have life without light. And so when Jesus is said to be the light of the nations, what God was really telling us is that Jesus would provide the way for life, spiritual life, eternal life, to be experienced by all people who would trust in him. Jesus came to turn on the lights so that people like you and me might be able to have a relationship with God. He clarifies that even further by saying that he's a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. You know, one of the most common miracles that Jesus did in the New Testament was healing blind people from their blindness. I think that was more than just a coincidence. I think it's a theological point. You see, in our sin, we are blinded from being able to see and discern spiritual truth. We need God to turn on the lights and to cure our spiritual blindness so that we might see and understand who God is and relate to Him in proper ways. Jesus came as a light to the nations to open up the eyes of the spiritually blind, you and me. Now, I think about the impact of being blind spiritually, and I just put it in a in kind of a crude analogy. Think, think about this. If, if you were to want to go to Sooner Mall after church today, 
and you walk out in the parking lot and you run into a blind man in the parking lot, clearly blind, cane in front of him, dark sunglasses on, no ability to see. Can you imagine if you take out the keys to your car and hand it to the blind man and say, drive to Sooner Mall? How effective would that drive be? How much... How many accidents would happen along the way? Why? Because there is no ability to get from here to there apart from sight, apart from light, apart from the ability to see. And the same thing happens in our spiritual lives. Apart from Jesus turning on the lights, apart from Him opening our eyes to see, we're like people, blind people, trying to drive from here to heaven. We'll never get there. Not only do we need our sins forgiven, but we need our priorities clarified. We need truth revealed to us. And Jesus has come to turn on the lights and to open the eyes. He's come to be our Savior. But not only that, but it says that He has come to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. See, this is describing a spiritual oppression, a spiritual bondage. It's talking about humanity as being chained up, locked up because of our sin. That we are in a dungeon with the the door slammed shut and we are are stuck there. Unless we think that sounds like exaggerated language, um, let me illustrate it for you. I, I, I think this is very real. I think that our sin does place us in bondage all the time. Uh, To illustrate that, think about an area, an issue, uh, a struggle for you, maybe it was an event, that you would categorize as the top of your sin taxonomy, whatever that is. You know, maybe it's struggle with anger. Maybe it was an affair that you had. Maybe it is um, the way that you have related to your, your spouse or the way that you've related to your children. Maybe it's money that you have stolen or are currently stealing from your workplace. Um, maybe it's just a, a pattern of, of looking at pornography, or, or maybe it's a pattern of, of gossiping and tearing others down in order to build yourself up. Whatever it is, there, there is something in your life that you would categorize as the most shameful sin that you've got. Well, apart from what Christ has done, and if we forget what Christ has done, we spend our lives chained to that issue. We spend our lives locked up to it. And so, for some of us, this has become so large and we've become so ashamed of it, it actually prevents us from going anywhere. It prevents us from ever moving. We're locked and we're chained to it. For others, we've managed to be able to pick it up a little bit and carry it short distances, but it exhausts us. And it drives us away from getting involved in God's plan. It drives us away from from any kind of activity in relating to Him because we're just so ashamed. It drives us away from relating to others in healthy and appropriate ways because we are chained to the shame of our sin. That problem that I just described that, that you experience and that I experience is something that is universal to humanity. All of humanity is spending our lives chained to our shame and our sin. That's the temporal consequence. The eternal consequence is our sin that we're chained to, if not dealt with appropriately in Christ, would lead us to suffering for that in the dungeon of hell for eternity. But Jesus, who is our Savior, shows up 
walks into our dungeon with a master key and unlocks the chain that has chained us to our shame and unlocks the shackle which is around our wrist and opens the door and says, come forth and follow me. And we have opportunity to relate to him, not on the basis of this shame and not weighed down by this shame, but on the basis of who we are in Christ. That is what Jesus has offered to us. Our servant is our Savior who offers to set us free. That is great news for us to share. Now, you know, kind of the, that experience, I was reflecting on it this week because some of you know a couple of weeks ago I had the opportunity to, to preach a series of messages over in a, a local prison. I got to go over to Just Done Correctional Center um, just outside of Muskogee. And I got to give four messages over five days to um, a, really a thriving church that exists inside that prison. Um, and uh, it was just—it was such an honor to be there. It was such an honor to be able to share with them and to, and to, and to talk about spiritual things and to lift up Jesus with them. But, but here, here's what was so interesting, I thought, um, for, for me. Um, you know, I, I was there and I was relating to these men. I met them as a church. I did not meet them as someone who had victimized my sister, someone who had victimized my son, someone who had hurt someone else around me. I I met them as the church. As such, it was not difficult for me over the course of those five days to, to, to just not deal with them on the basis of their past. I was dealing with them on the basis of their future. And I was seeing them not in their prison issue gray and blue, but I could see them as someone who was clothed and wrapped in Jesus Christ. Now, I have limited knowledge, and and I'm not one to say if I would know everything that had happened or if my family had been a victim of one of these situations, how I would respond, how I would react. I've got lots of warts issues and flaws just like everybody else. But I, I think in those five days over at Just Done, I think God gave me a gift. It was a gift that showed me how he must view us. Because he chooses to see us. He chooses to relate to us, not on the basis of what we've done. He chooses to relate to us, not as a prisoner in a dungeon, but he chooses to relate to us as the body and the bride of his son. He chooses to see us as his. Our our prison issue, shame, clothing, he chooses to look past and see instead the white garments that have been placed on us by Christ. You see, we have the opportunity of sharing a message of freedom. One of the things that happened in in the prison throughout the week was we had these great times of praise and worship. And the last night we were there, um, the band was up uh, leading us as band that, that leads there in the prison. They, they're just doing a wonderful job. We're singing this song, Freedom Reigns in This Place. Showers of mercy and grace flowing on every face. Freedom reigns in this place. And we just sang that over and over and over again. Probably 20 minutes we sang that song over and over again. I just was standing on the front row of that church just, just weeping because freedom could reign in prison. See, there was still razor wire, and there was still fences, and there was still prison clothing, but those men were free because Jesus had set them free. He was choosing to relate to them, not on the basis of their shame, but on the basis of what he had done. 
And guys, here's, here's the issue. We have the opportunity. We can be just as much in prison today as those men are. Not with fence and razor wire that's physical that we see, but with shame and with doubt because of the sin that we have found ourselves chained to. And Jesus has come to set us free. And that is some news that is not good news. That is great news for us to share. Now, why is it that we are talking about ready for takeoff? Because we have great news to share. Our desire is not just to do good things, but we want to do good things. Jesus came as a servant. We want to serve others. But we want to do more than just do good things. We want to share the great news that people can be set free from their sin. That you can be set free from your sin. That I can be set free from my sin. That Jesus can set us free and allow us to walk forth. That is great news that we get to share. And so when we think of applying this, there's two, two directions. One is, if you are here today and you feel chained to your sin, I want you just to know that Jesus is standing there with a key willing to unlock the shackles and invite you to walk forth and follow him. Asking only that you embrace and trust him in faith. And the second thing is, for those of us that have already had our shackle removed, I want to challenge us. Who is it that God wants to use you to share his love with today? This week. Who is it that God might put on your heart and on your mind that you might walk forth from this place and share not good news, but great news with? That there's an opportunity to be set free from our shame and from our sin. You see, we have a Savior who is also a servant, and I want to be with him. That picture I'm going to hold dear to my heart in Isaiah 42. In this Christmas season, I pray that God holds it near to your heart as we go forth and serve him. As we wrap up our Ready for Takeoff initiative, I'm going to ask now the elders to, to come and, and, and stand in the aisle. You know, many times if we have somebody who's going on a mission trip, um, we will uh, pray over them at the beginning of, of that trip. Um, and as a congregation, we have the opportunity today to really be, be sent that part of Ready for Takeoff is about us getting involved personally with our, with our time and reaching out. And so we want, as a, a leadership team and as a group of elders, we want to just pray over us as a congregation and commission us today for God's work through us in the Ready for Takeoff initiative. So I've asked Dick Stewart, who's one of our elders, to, to pray over us a prayer of commissioning and invite the worship team to come on up. They'll be leading us in a closing song. Um, here in just a moment. Well, let's pray. It's a great thing to be here this morning with all of you, this uh, special day, a special time in the history of Wildwood Community Church. And so we want to come before our Heavenly Father and, and um, thank Him for blessing us this morning. Lord, we desire to exalt your name and give you all the honor, the praise, and glory for blessing this church. We have truly been blessed. You have gathered us together this morning in this place 
as followers of Jesus Christ to, to remember all the spiritual and material blessings in our lives. So we praise you and give you thanks for the fact that you, you alone are our creator, our Lord, our redeemer, and our savior. Thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and that we have experienced your mercy, your goodness, and great faithfulness to each one of us individually and to this church. So, Lord God, we desire to honor you with our lives and to ask you, Holy Spirit, on this special day of commissioning to lead and empower us to reach out with the gospel both locally and globally, in order to share the amazing love of Jesus Christ and that Christ truly does set the captives free. So, Lord, we desire to be a blessing to those who haven't heard this great news. However, we know we can't do this without your power. So I close this prayer with these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, which is truly a promise to each of us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand now and to join us as we close this service in singing about our God who is mighty.